Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and everything in between, welcome to the Kevin Clifton Show. Now I've got a very, very, very close friend of mine um, on the show again this week. I've been very lucky actually with uh, my friends coming on the show. I'm very lucky to have lots of very talented friends and very lucky that they all seem fine about coming on the podcast to talk about their talents. Um, so obviously we had Anya Garnis um, last week who I was talking to about Rise Up With Arts, um, which, which will be available soon to stream. Really cool project that she's doing. Um, so I love talking to Anya. I haven't seen her in quite a while. Um, so yeah, thank you, Anya, for coming on the podcast. And this week, um, I've got someone uh, so close that we actually lived together for, I don't know, a year, two years, wh wh whatever it was. She, she was a housemate of mine. And she's very much, um, very much an all-rounder in that she can sort of do it all. She's an actor, a dancer, uh, I, I've, I'm sure she can sing. I, I don't know if I've ever heard her sing, but I'm, I'm sure she sings like Whitney Houston. Um, a choreographer. She's done commercials on TV. She's done video games. She's done like sort of done a, like a bit of everything. So I thought it'd be really cool to um, get her on the show. And actually, I'm sure we'll get to this part of the podcast. But actually, it was it was her responsibility to kind of get me through um, the thing that when I, when I failed on TV in front of the nation and stepping in for the Ghostbusters routine on Strictly Come Dancing um, with Alex Scott that time Neil Jones got injured um, it was it was uh, my guest this week that was putting me through my paces backstage going no left you moron <laughs> she wasn't she was really nice about it she wasn't saying that but yeah she was trying to show me what to do and uh, me just sort of flailing around trying to put it <laughs> trying to get my act together um but yes please welcome to the show my friend and yours miss jess con lee how oh, you doing jess kev thank you so much for having me you know there's nothing more that i love than a chat with you <laughs> <laughs> so this, this podcast might be five or six hours long well this is the thing i am conscious of trying to keep it a little bit tighter than i usually do because my team have been saying oh maybe yeah, maybe a bit shorter, you know, you don't have to go on for like, you know, nine hours. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm sort of conscious of that, but also because we know each other so well, we'll there is every chance that it could just go off in 10 different directions and we'll talk, because there's lots of stuff that you do. Um, but also I just want to, before we sort of get into it, um, I will say that just because you look like Meghan Markle uh, <laughs> and, and I'm playing the role. If anyone's casting the new film out there for Meghan uh, Markle. 100%. <laughs> when we get the... When we finally get that season of The Crown on Netflix or when we get the inevitable movie that comes out mm -hmm. about Harry and Meghan sometime, um, there is no one more perfect to play Meghan than Miss Jess Khan Lee. And there's no one more available and willing to do it and I can pull off a British accent I hope I'd probably say that and then people would listen to it and be like my god but she's got an American accent so oh yeah that's true yeah. what am I even thinking yeah I'm perfect for the role We're absolutely perfect <laughs> for the role and you, and you are Meghan Markle's doppelganger um, but a funny story about that actually Kev because I lived in Hong Kong for about 11 years and in Hong Kong and China um, having lookalikes is really big business mm. and you can get paid a lot of money. So when Prince Harry started dating Meghan Markle, there was a big appetite for that. And I had loads of friends just telling me, you know, you should just go into China and just find some like white ginger guy to, to go around and just put on a big coat and, 
and a pair of glasses and, and pass yourself off as Meghan Markle. I did think about it for a hot second, but... <laughs> yeah. You and Neil Jones could have cleaned up. Me and Neil. Neil, if you're listening, <laughs> there's still time. There's massive money this to be made. perfect time. And now's the perfect time the perfect for that business time. model. <laughs> Neil Jones actually lived out in Hong Kong for quite a while as well. Yeah, we should have oh done it God. then. Oh, my God. This is perfect. Yeah. Um, but just because you are Meghan Markle's doppelganger and uh, will surely be playing Meghan Markle at some point... Um, <laughs> And, and, and it's my role to, to do the questions on this podcast. <laughs> Please don't think that I'm going to treat you like most <laughs> question askers have, have treated Meghan Markle over, over the last few years. Today and, you're um, my Oprah. Yeah, I'll try and be more like <laughs> Oprah. Um, and, and also, if, uh, if I say anything and um, you disagree or have a, have a different opinion on anything that I'm talking about, I promise not to um, walk out of the interview <laughs> and, <laughs> and then cry freedom of speech oh after cancelling myself. <laughs> I can't, I can't, we've had so many conversations about this. Oh, it's just, I'm sure everybody at home is having the same yeah. conversations. It's just, do you know what makes me laugh? I knew we were going to end up sticking about this, but <laughs> we've gone straight in. But look, what makes me laugh is the freedom of speech headline that, that, that keeps being you. Whoa, freedom of speech is the hill that I will die on. It's like, you, no one's, no one's cancelling your freedom no. of speech at any point. That's not something that happened. You literally walked out yourself. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, God. Yeah. And also... Freedom of speech means you're both you're both allowed to have that freedom of <laughs> exactly, speech. Like exactly. both sides can have that. Just because someone disagrees with you is not the same as not have. Oh, honestly. Anyway, <laughs> that's to one side. It's because we talked about Meghan Markle straight away. <laughs> um, yeah, I won't be storming off. Um, so during um, you've like as like I was saying, you've been doing you do a bit of everything. You you've done lots of different stuff, right? Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> What was that for you? Did it start out as anything in particular? As in like, I want to be this, I want to be an actor or I want to be a dancer or I want to be on film or on stage or whatever. Or was it you always been like, I just want to do everything? Um, I think it started with me wanting to be a dancer. My mum put me in ballet classes when I was about two. Mm. Uh, and so for as long as I can remember, I've always identified as a dancer, which actually I think is a really special thing. Because I did have a friend that was a lighting designer say to me once, I've never met anyone like dancers because they've been doing their job their entire lives. How many people from age two, age five, start doing their job or training for their job? Usually you get mm. to be 18, 20, whatever it is, maybe after university and you start training your, for, for your career. Mm. And um, dancers are very special in that way. Um, I suppose singers and stuff too, like many different types of artists. Um, but... I wanted to be a dancer, I wanted to be a ballerina. I started in ballet and jazz and musical theatre, all your like classical uh, dance training. And then I do remember that my favourite thing about it though was always performance. So I wanted to be an actress as well. Mm. Uh, and I had many jobs alongside that. I wanted to be like a marine biologist slash actress. Sure. sure. <laughs> you know, all the things that you dream about when you're 10. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've always wanted to be in performing arts. I couldn't really imagine anything else. Um, and then as I got older, I wanted to do acting more and more. 
Um, but just from kind of the smaller town that I was in, that wasn't really available. So I fell in love with musical theater. And uh, I probably started working in that when I was about 14, 15, uh, working professionally. And I knew that that was it for me. Mm. Um, I dreamed of being on Broadway then. Uh, but I always had that dream about being on TV and in film, but mm. I didn't start pursuing that until I was maybe 17, 18. Okay. Um, and I had applied to all the universities. I was going to go be a, a doctor because that's what, you know, my family does. And, and that I felt like that's what was expected, although they probably didn't feel that way. Um, but an opportunity for an audition came up uh, in Vancouver and I lived in a different city at this point and I went uh, and I booked the job and I thought this is fantastic uh, and decided not to go to university that year and just pursue acting in film and TV and I had the opportunity to do that um, and dance at the same time. So it's just something that I have always loved and have always wanted to do. Um, yeah, I can't really, I can't really imagine doing it anything else. Mm. And is it like the attraction of it for, for you, like that, that, the need to do it, is, is mm. it, what is that to do with for you? Is it like the, the storytelling aspect of it all, exploring yourself, expressing yourself, you know, like, yeah, 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 definitely. I think when I started when I was younger, it was um, it was more just the buzz of being on stage. Yeah. You know, if you have been on stage, you know there's something magical mm. about being in the darkness of the wings and, and the lights hitting the stage. And I always just felt so comfortable up mm. there. Like when I closed my eyes and would imagine my safe place, mm. that is what I would imagine. Just even an empty stage, not not full, just an empty stage stood in the middle and feeling the lights. Um, and I love the connection that you have with the other artists on the stage. Yeah. Which I think is amazing. I mean, it's brilliant to have an audience there who you're touching, but even without an audience, you're creating that magic with other people there. Mm. And that's really addictive. Mm. Um, and there's something about working together cohesively in a group to create something special. Hmm. Uh, that I think bonds you in a way that most other jobs wouldn't bond you. Hmm. Um, and you know, the, the months of dedication and the years of dedication. So, yeah, I, I just loved that feeling of it. It's a hard thing to describe, hmm. I think. Only something you can feel. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, so, it's very alive in a way. There's yeah. something like happening that, that's very present in that moment and very alive, like a, a real connection Exactly. With someone, I know what you mean. Yeah. Because I, I find I can't always do it like off stage or off camera. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like have that same thing. You know, like some people are just naturally very um, uh, sort of chatty with people, can instantly have like a rapport with people. Mm -hmm. Stacy, for example, is like, you know. Stacy's the best example. <laughs> as, as soon as you meet, as soon as Stace meets someone and starts chatting to him, like, you feel like you mates with Stacey straight away. Mm -hmm. Like she's got that sort of instant rapport and, you know, there's an instant like, connection. I'm a bit more reserved until I know the person really well. Yeah. And then 
A slow burn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a slow burn, which I, I've been described as a slow burner by, by my, my own girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure at first. I didn't really fancy you at the beginning, but... You're a slow but burn. And you get to know you. <laughs> yeah. But, but you are, you are, you are reserved. Because I remember the first time I met you, you were a lot quieter, but it doesn't take long. Once, um, I think once you open up to somebody, then they realize actually you are, you, you know, we've, we've joked about this before. You're either completely silent or, <laughs> yeah. or you can't stop talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like once, it's like I keep it all suppressed. And then once I feel like I really know someone and trust them, yeah. it's like it all comes out at once like, and I can't stop talking <laughs> about it. It's three in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Can we go Can to I bed? Can I go to bed? Can you just please stop talking? <laughs> yeah, but, but you're great at that. And that's why, you know, that's, that's why your podcast is so great to listen to because you actually do have that very natural rapport with people and you're very interested in people and their process yeah. and their story. And I think that's also what makes you a great artist because you absorb um, these stories that people tell you and their lives and the characters that they are. And you can relate them to the work that you do. But I find, like, like to your point, I find that becomes, for, for whatever reason, much easier in, like, on stage or on mm -hmm. camera when it's like you're playing this. I don't know, maybe it's like you're not being yourself, you're being this character or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. So maybe that maybe that's why you enjoy that. Like, yeah, I think I think it gives you the freedom. Mm. Like when you're on stage or when you're in front of a camera, even though you have a script and you have a character, there's a freedom of expression that is not necessarily always allowed mm. in the real world. Yeah, you you can go as big as you want. Um, you can you're supposed to feel everything. Yeah. Whereas I think you know in your day to day. Even if you're feeling everything, you can't show that you're feeling everything. You can't be honest yeah. in every single thing that you do, which is probably a very good thing because mm. it, I don't think it would be great if people were 100%. And I don't mean honest, but just um, if you worked off of instinct and reaction all the time, it's not a great way to, to react in no. the real world. No, if someone's made you a dinner yeah, and you don't exactly. like it. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like chuck it on the floor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that makes for a, a great piece on, on stage yeah. or, or if you can see that expression of you taking a bite of food and absolutely hating it when someone's on screen, but trying to smile and grin through it, like that's what makes the magic. Mm, um, mm. So I think it's, yeah, it's the freedom that we are allowed mm. uh, when we're in those spaces. And um, there's, I went to an acting school in, in New York called the Neighborhood Playhouse, which mm -hmm. is a very Meisner-based um, mm. acting technique. and. I love it um, because he talks about how acting is being truthful under imaginary circumstances. Mm. So I think a lot of people think acting is pretending, um, but you know everyone knows the difference between good acting and bad acting. You watch a movie and you're like, well, that's terrible. And maybe yeah. you can't say why, but you know that it's not believable or it's not good. Um, but this is all about living truthfully under those circumstances. So you don't have to be the character that you are. You know, if, if, if you're somebody that's down and out and homeless, you don't have to have been homeless. Mm. But what you do have to do is do your homework and, and think about what would that be like? What would it be like if I lost 
my family or my mm. home or I was struggling for this or I was trying to survive for this person. Yeah. And then that creates the reality within yourself. And then when different things happen within the script or your relationship with another person, you can react truthfully mm. because you can understand what it must be like to go through that. Um, so yeah, I don't know where this conversation started. I don't know where. <laughs> no, I, well, we knew this I was going to happen. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know a tangent I just went off on. Um, yeah, we were but just... yeah, the, 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 yeah, the beauty of freedom, that was yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Freedom yeah, in yeah. front of the screen and, and being truthful and, and living truthfully. Um, that's what I think is such a magical thing and that's why I'm so drawn to film and TV now, which is something I try to do mm. more and more of. In any way, whether that's TV, whether that's film, whether that's commercials, whether that's video games, whether yeah. that's dance, um, there's always an element of that. Yeah. But so, like, I feel like all, all of the stuff that you're saying and you have that freedom to sort of express yourself and create and be sort of alive in the moment and um, interact with other people, connect to other people um, in that moment. I find all of that when we're, like, on stage what I find very difficult is like an audition setting. And, oh, Kev. But so I'm, I'm interested to hear from you because you, you, you've just said, you, you know, you went to this audition in, was it Vancouver? Yeah, Vancouver. You went to this and you booked it. Yeah. You, you, got, you got the job. And, you know, since I've known you, I've heard of you, you, you tell me about going to auditions and stuff and you book them and you, you get jobs. <laughs> so you must be doing something right. You must be pretty good at auditions where I, I hate auditions. But... Tell me, what's, <laughs> why are you so good at auditions? What are you doing that I'm not? <laughs> I, I don't know that I am so good at auditions. You know, I've, I, I, have, I have booked, um, but I've also not booked hmm. loads. And I think it comes down to a lot of different factors. Um, one of them, of course, is you have to learn how to audition. So we can break that down depending on like what, what medium you're going for. But I think when I first started auditioning, like actually the first job that I really auditioned for, I'd done a few jobs before. I think um, a couple little TV things here and there when I was little, you know, like age six or whatever. But the first dance show that I auditioned for was actually for Disney and, and I didn't get it the first year. And I auditioned with my sister, my little sister, who didn't care as much as I did, mm. you know, I, I was desperate. Yeah. Um, and she got it. Ah, interesting. Yeah, she got it and I didn't. And I, it wasn't difficult then because she was my sister, so I was just so happy for her. But it definitely taught me right at the beginning about rejection. Yeah. And like we know, this industry is, you know, 98% rejection. Yeah. Um, if you're very lucky and you've made it to that spot where you're at the top, obviously, you get a little bit more. But most of the people, successful people that you've seen, they've gone through those years and years and years of, mm. of hearing no. Yeah. Um, and I think my first ever TV audition um, for that show, I was lucky in the way that I was really naive. I had the confidence of a 17-year-old. <laughs> yeah. who, you know, I, I grew up with very supportive parents, a very supportive family who were always just like, yay, you're great in everything yeah. they do, you know? <laughs> you were the best you're the one. Best. <laughs> thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. <laughs> like, um, 
so I think I had that, that confidence that you do when you are that age to go into an audition and I just learned the lines and she was a bit of a sassy character and she was a teenager, but that was just kind of who I was already and mm. just amped it up a little bit. I think if I had known what I know now, I would have been a lot more intimidated. I think if mm. somebody had said to me, oh, well, you have to break down a script like this and you have to go through this and, and what choice are you going to make here? I think that would have been a lot scarier for me because I, I didn't have training yet. But what I did have was something that was natural and honest. Yeah. Because in that way, I didn't have that cluttering my mind. Yeah. Um, so I was lucky with that audition. And I booked a few more um, during that time uh, or during those years that I was in Vancouver. But I also went to a lot of auditions where I didn't book them. Mm. And... I think that comes down to different things. Part of it comes down to um, obviously the work that you've done, making sure that you understand a script, making sure that you hit the beats, making sure that you show enough sides to a character to make it interesting mm. and, um, and have people drawn in. But there's another side of it where you, you have to fit the character they're looking for. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe they have an idea of what this character looks like or they have a cast of people and you need to fit in with that cast. It's not always just about you, especially if it's an ensemble piece. They have to look at the whole group. You know, is there someone that's too similar to you? How do these two yeah. people go together? How do these six people go together? Mm. Um, sometimes maybe you weren't, your audition wasn't good enough. Sometimes it's too good. Sometimes if you're up against, you know, you're doing a scene with a lead character, they don't want you to outshine the lead character. Yeah. So if your audition's too good, you might not get the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things where you have to be resilient. You have to be open enough to take, um, you know, to take a look at yourself and go, what could I have done better in that audition? To get training, to get feedback, um, to accept constructive criticism. Yeah. But at the same time, know that if you don't get something, it's not because you're not good. There yeah. are a million factors yeah. of why you don't get a job. Yeah. Um, in terms of like auditioning for different things, actually funny enough, you know, dance has always been my first love, but I hate dance auditions. Mm. I, I don't know why they terrify me so much because I, I identify as a dancer. Maybe it's because I want it too much. Yeah. yeah. Maybe because I think I'm a dancer, so I have to get this. And if I don't get it. What does that what, say about me? What does it say about me? Yeah. And what can I think of myself? And all this has been a waste. And what will everyone else think about me? Mm. What's my family going to think about me? What are my friends who are dancers going to think about me? Oh, she didn't get the job. Oh, she hasn't got the last 10 jobs. Like, she yeah, must not yeah, be very yeah. good. So I think that terrifies me. Um, and also, I get very intimidated when I'm put on the spot. So if yeah. you put me in a, in a big room of people and you're really quickly learning a combo and then you've just got to smash it out, then I, I get very nervous and in my head. So I'm not great, actually, at dance auditions at all. If you give me to the next day to settle in my mind, then, then I can bang it out. But yeah. that day, I'm absolutely terrible. <laughs> um, yeah. But with acting auditions, I don't get nervous. You don't get nervous at all. I love them. Interesting. I absolutely love them. And I don't know if it's because I can prepare beforehand. Yeah. I have time to understand who my character is. I know the different choices I can make. 
And then when I'm in the room and the casting director says, oh, can you try this? So the director goes, oh, you can try that. Um, it feels safer to me mm. for some reason. I feel less judged, I guess, because I also don't yeah. feel like I have to fit in. Mm. Or maybe a dance audition, you know, there's a technique. You know yeah. how it is. Oh, you didn't have to look a certain you way. didn't do the move this particular way and that's the yeah. style. Or, yeah. Whereas acting in, in sometimes is much freer. Obviously, there are dance um, jobs and and things you can do with dance where you do get to be a lot more creative obviously mm. as we all know everybody's mm. got their own style and but acting the character is just about you there's not really a wrong way to do it it's just whether you've kind of done the work to make it truthful yeah. so I feel very free and very excited because it's about embodying new characters and learning their backgrounds rather than oh I could have done that move better and I kind of suck today. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Totally yeah. get that. Um, and how have how have auditions changed now with the pandemic? Oh, it's so different. Um, well, I say that, but I, I think it's just that the scales have shifted. So um, when I started auditioning and working in TV and film, it was probably. Uh, um, over over 15 years ago it was about 15 something like that um, and most of them were in the room you know you'd, your agent would send you the sides and you'd go into the audition and the casting director would be there and the camera person and somebody would be there reading opposite you um, and then sometimes you went for a callback hmm. if you got the callback and occasionally we would do um, what is known now as a self tape where you don't go into the room with the casting director or the director, but and instead you film it on your own. Um, but you go into your agency and they'd probably get someone else, another actor from the agency to come in and read opposite you. So mm. how it works is that uh, they have a camera set up in a room and your reader, who's the other, you know, saying the other characters um, lines in the script sits beside the camera. You sit in front of the camera and you act out the scene. And the camera's just on you. And you don't typically move around a lot. It's just to get a sense of, um, of how you portray the character on screen and how you look on screen. Mm. But typically those were for jobs where they were casting outside your city or outside your country. Mm. So those were quite rare. It'd be like, oh, there's a film you know, shooting in LA, but I'm based in Vancouver. Well, then let's do a self-tape and send it off. And they were very rare to get those self-tape requests as well because mm. um, it's not something that was done. And uh, at the time, there wasn't Dropbox or WeTransfer, all these yeah. easy things that <laughs> yeah. we have now. But um, since lockdown, this has changed dramatically. Everything is self-tapes. Um, and to the point where you have to do them yourself in your own home. Yeah. So you're not even going into, you know, into your agency anymore because obviously we can't. Yeah. So what will happen now is uh, your agent will submit you. Uh, if the casting director wants to see you, they'll send an email back with the sides, which is the section of your script that you have to learn. Or if it's a commercial audition, some direction or a storyboard of what they want. And you have to uh, set your camera up at home you have to set up the lighting, you have to set up the sounds, you have to obviously do the scenes yourself, and then you have to edit it and send it to casting. <laughs> you essentially had to learn how to be a producer exactly. and director and editor as well as just 
an actor or dancer. Exactly. So, you know, there's been a lot of debate about about self-tapes and whether they're a good thing or a bad thing, and I I think they're a bit of both. I think um, the difficult thing about doing a self-tape is that it is so much work for the talent. You know, if, if your job is an actor, then that's supposed to be your job. Yeah. That's why on a film set we have a director and, yeah. and a camera person and a DOP and mm. you've got lighting and editing again. <laughs> but suddenly you have to do all of those things. Um, and it's an enormous amount of pressure and it's really time consuming. And then on top of it, you're trying to do a good job of just what you're supposed to be doing in the first place, which is playing a character. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of pressure because there are high expectations for what a self-tape needs to look like. You know, very specific about what your background needs to be, how good your lighting needs to be. Yeah. If your sound's not great, then, you know, they're not going to watch your tape past a few seconds. So in that respect, I don't like it because your job as an actor is to give life to a character and to be judged on that, not to be judged on, oh, your framing was a little bit off. Yeah. We wish that you were a bit closer in but you didn't do it right, or, or the lighting's not great. There's so many variables now. Yeah, um, so that's the part that I don't like about the self-tapes. But what I will say is the positive thing that's come out of it is that there is so much more opportunity because casting directors have more time. If they're at home and they can, they can ask so many more people to send in tapes mm -hmm. than to come into a room. Mm. So suddenly, if you're an actor or a dancer or, or you know musician, whoever you are doing self-tapes, um, the opportunities for you have increased exponentially because casting directors might ask, you know, I don't, I don't know the actual numbers, I'm just pulling them out of a bag, but maybe yeah. they'll see two, three times the amount of people that they would usually see in a casting office. Yeah. So that's phenomenal because you're going to get seen a lot more. Mm. And that's what the industry is about. Even if you don't book this job, you might book the next one. Um, and also... I think the more skills that you learn, the better you become at your job. I think if you see an actor that understands directing or a director that understands acting, you become a better director, you become a better actor. That's a really good point. Yeah, so, so in that way it forces you to learn new skills that actually, I mean, they increase your skill set, they, they increase what it is that you are able to offer and your understanding. Now I know what lighting will look good on me. Mm. Now I know how to play to the camera a bit more. Mm. Now I know, you know, if, if you want to set a certain tone to a scene, how to do that with those, with those um, aspects. You know, even wardrobe. You have to do your own hair yeah, and makeup yeah, and wardrobe, yeah. which is mad because I've had things where they ask for very specific wardrobe. <laughs> like, who has this stuff? Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes there's an expectation that you have to go out and spend money and buy, you know, buy the wardrobe, buy the lights, um, which is another difficult thing for, for an actor because most are already struggling. So it's a financial mm, burden mm. to ex be expected to buy all this equipment. <laughs> buy a, uh, yeah, a studio. Exactly. <laughs> buy, buy a studio yeah. um, in, in order to audition, <laughs> basically. But I guess in, if you look at it from the other perspective, it's an investment in, um, in the growth and expansion of your own art. Yeah. So I think that 
is a beautiful thing. And I've learned so much this year from doing self-tapes since lockdown began. I think I've done over 150 auditions. Wow. In the last year. In the last year. <laughs> yeah, I did three yesterday. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it's mad. It's absolutely, wow. yeah. Yeah, so I think I'm old hat at the self-tape now. <laughs> I think, you know, I know my setup now. I know what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. But I um, can't imagine doing 150 auditions in person. Because I've, I've done some, not 150. <laughs> you know, I've done like two <laughs> in the last year. But like where I've sent in a, a self-tape and... You know, I, I knew none of this stuff that, like, that you've got, like, all of this, like, the lighting and stuff. I'm like, you know, I don't own one of those big ring lights oh, or anything like light. that. I, I just, we were doing it in the kitchen and, like, I needed Stace to, like, press play when the music had to start. And then she had to, like, press something. And then Stace, because she's so, bless her, because she's so brilliant, she she's almost, like, wanting to act and get involved in it. Even though she's off camera, I'd be like, right, just I need you to read these lines as as I'm doing these lines for me, and and she's like, well, okay, shall I'll I'll do my American accent. I'm like, no, you don't have to do that. Just do it in your accent, and then I'll I'll do my bit. It's it, the, the camera's on me for these bits. You're not on you're not on camera. Oh, anyway, I'll do it, and it's it's not not quite right her American <laughs> accent. So she's making me laugh as we're doing it, and then. You know, and like I say, the lighting's terrible and, and you know, it's grainy and, <laughs> and then the shot just looks, oh, there's like a half-eaten banana in the background somewhere. And, st- <laughs> and, um, and then, like, I'm saying the lines to Stace and she's, like, wanting to do it properly and, like, act with it. So she'll, like, pause for effect. <laughs> so I'm just left there on camera waiting for Stace to say the line back to me and she's going... <sighs> I'm, I'm like, no, just just say the line. Just say it straight away. Otherwise, there's just this weird pause with me on screen. Oh, my God. And as we know, a pause on screen is a lot longer than a pause yes. on real, in real life. Yeah, so <laughs> I haven't learned the art of the self-tape yet. <laughs> but, but you book Kev, which means you got through on your talent. So well, just imagine if you upped your self-tape game. Yeah, yeah, imagine. <laughs> just imagine the, what the a ring light would bring to your yeah. life. <laughs> I'm a ring light away from being Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> God. Right. But I've seen some of your audition videos mm. and without obviously without giving away too many of your secrets <laughs> because this is how, this is how you get but you really go the extra mile. It's not just a ring light and and you know a nice <laughs> white wall behind or something or <laughs> like you've done some pretty crazy things. I have um Many times this, the, <laughs> the storyboard has demanded it. Um, but what I did learn is that going the extra mile pays off. Mm. Um, because it's very easy to just look at the breakdown of what they want and give it that to them. But how do you stand out in a thousand submissions? Mm. In a thousand tapes? And that's the way it's going now, actually. Yeah. You know, they get a casting director told me they might get for a role a thousand submissions. And then they ask maybe, you know, for, for a TV thing, they ask me maybe 20 people to tape. 
And at that point, before it was all locked down, it was 10 people in the room and 10 people to self-tape. Mm. Um, so literally, these casting directors are getting thousands and thousands. So how do you make your tape stand out, especially when the scene is so specific, um, which means it doesn't, you know, you just imagine everyone's tape is going to kind of look the same. Uh, inevitably it doesn't because we all have our own personalities and our own interpretations. So I might look at something and go, oh God, I can't imagine another way this could be done. But then, you know, you might look at it and see it completely differently. But I have found that the more creative you are, the more likely you're going to get called back. Mm. Um, and that's down to effort. Yeah. And I know sometimes it can be frustrating for actors when... This is another thing. Sometimes a lot is asked of the actor mm. you know because you don't have the the director in the room anymore it's it's kind of like they want to see it all yeah. on a tape but um which i understand but i also do think sometimes it's a little bit unfair on the artist mm. because it's a lot but and i think i started to feel that way at moments if, if i'm being completely honest there are times where i was like oh god this is asking you know a lot Especially if you consider that actors, you know, this is this is what we do for free all the time. Yeah. You know, the the return on your investment basically is is typically very low. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of time, it's a lot of effort, it's a lot of heart. You pour yourself into all of these tapes. Mm. So sometimes, you know, when I was tired, I'd be like, Oh God, like, should I just do the bare minimum? But actually, w- the more effort I started putting in, the better I felt about my tapes. Yeah. the prouder I was of the things that I was doing and the better I became at them and the more I got called back. And, you know, when you say some of the mad tapes that I've done, I think you're, you're probably referring to um, one of them that I did recently um, where they wanted wire work, Yeah. Um, you know, which is um, for anybody that's listening that isn't, really sure what wire work is it's when they hook you up from a wire and and you're floating around on it it's it's aerial work um sometimes you see it in like stunt movies or or if you want to look like you're floating in the clouds or swimming underwater they'll hook you up to a rig and mm. and take so it out to the post. listener picture like imagine you've been asked to do this at home <laughs> yes <laughs> for an audition yeah <laughs> some wire work some... how are you going to go about this for this audition <laughs> that was it but but this is the thing the the breakdown i got um said that you were kind of floating in in water and they wanted sort of not really dance movements but they wanted something a bit more elegant and you were exploring the space um and but they wanted to see somebody that that did have wire work and they said can you send wired work footage I thought to myself, my God, I don't have any wire work footage. Um, but I know I can do this. Yeah. But I, I don't have footage of me, you know, on, yeah. a, on a big stage and a big rig um, doing this. So I thought, how, how can I do this at home? <laughs> Luckily, I've got loads of junk at home for random, <laughs> random <laughs> sports and things that I do. And I had a pull-up bar um, hanging from the door frame. And I also rock climb. Uh, my partner and I rock climb a lot. So we had some rope in the house and we tied the climbing rope to the pull-up bar. And then we clipped a carabiner on the end of it. And I wore my rock climbing harness on backwards so that I could clip the carabiner to the back of my harness. 
And then I just hung from my pull-up bar <laughs> in Excellent. the harness a couple of feet off the ground. Excellent. And I filmed my tape like that. I, I put on um, like a one-piece bodysuit to kind of be my underwater <laughs> whatever. And I filmed it from, you know, slightly below. So I looked like I was floating, and which I was floating, but to make it look, uh, you know, the angle looked a little bit better. And just, just <laughs> floated around in my underwater world. <laughs> Brilliant. And yeah, I got called back for that job. I nearly got, I didn't get that one in the end. Oh. <laughs> You're kidding me. I know, I know. After all Come that on, effort. Guys. I know, after all that effort, but I did get to the end. But you know, there's only so much you can do. I can't, I can't change my, my face or I can't change, you know, if, if, if someone's looking for a look, but I gave it my all. Yeah. Um, but the description for that was literally just kind of like stand in your room and move around. But the key is to remember that the client who's looking at it and the director and the casting director, they want to see their vision come to life. Hmm. And if you can help that vision come to life in your self-tape, then that's going to get you a step ahead. Hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I've, I've done the maddest stuff. I had another one come out recently for the same thing where I was rock climbing my, my kitchen cupboards um, <laughs> with, with my partner Tommy and um, pretending to go, you know, swimming in my room and putting a snorkel and a mask on and or doing it in the bathtub. It, it just, it's, it's, this is the glamorous world of acting. <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've, done, I've done some of the maddest ones. I'm sure some more will come to mind. Didn't you like nearly knock yourself out going back off the... I did actually, um, <laughs> you know, I think that this will come out this week, won't they? So if anybody sees the two you travel adverts, mm -hmm. um, this is another, I'm, I'm going to wrap back to this, but the two travel advert um, you'll notice was one that was shot at home. When you see this commercial, it's clips of people that have been shot in their own flats in their own homes so a new way of shooting adverts which never happened before um, which I think you know financially it's a much more viable way for commercials to be shot for a lot of production companies and also for safety yeah. um, with COVID now you know get, getting a lot of people in the studio requires a lot of regulations mm. um, COVID testing all the time PPE um, you know and if if somebody gets sick then the production's at risk or you need to have backup actors or whatever to come in, backup artists. So an easier way of doing it is asking people to shoot these commercials at home mm. on their iPhones. So the breakdown was, you know, holiday at home, try to create a viral video of, of you dreaming being on holiday at home and what would that look like? Uh, so, you know, people took their treadmills and put their luggage on it and imagined mm. that they were picking their luggage up um, or tanning under a lamp in their home uh so that was the one that that tommy and i did and and we did loads of them that was the rock climbing that was the <laughs> that was me sitting on the end of my sofa and then putting my mask and snorkel on and pretending i was coming off the back of a boat to dive into the water and smacked my head on the wall behind me and the funny thing is i almost didn't include that clip in my self-tape when i sent it because I had actually given myself a concussion because <laughs> <laughs> I practiced it, but very delicately. And then when I did it for real, I just went all in. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, commit. And if you see the original footage, 
it's me going, smacking my head on the wall, and then two and a half minutes of footage of a blank wall with me just groaning and Tommy being like, are you okay, are you okay? <laughs> Excellent. And this is the actual clip, but you only see until I, you know, just hit the floor and then all the drama. But it paid off, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you got the gig. I got the gig. Oh my God. Yeah, go, go in the extra mile. Um, one of the other things that I'm really interested in that you did which has sort of blown my mind a little bit, actually. It was the video game. <laughs> so you've been, you're, so cool. you're now a character in a video game. I am. Tell me about that whole process. Like, what did you have to do? Uh, so um, one of my agents uh, sent me an email saying, are you interested in this? And I opened it up and I saw that it was for a video game and they were looking for somebody that was my height um, and that was physically strong. Uh, and that was kind of all the breakdown said. It didn't mm. say much more. A lot of times you have to sign NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, for these sorts of projects. So I actually had no idea what it was for. I just knew it was for a video game. They, mm. they sent a code name for the game. I'm not really a gamer, so I probably wouldn't have known it, even <laughs> if you'd said, this is like Mario Kart <laughs> or Guitar Hero. Besides <laughs> that, I have no idea. Um, but I thought like, yeah, wicked. I was like, this sounds yeah. awesome. And I saw that it was mocap, which is motion capture, mm. uh, where, you know, just, just to explain a bit about it, is where they put um, like a suit and sensors all over your body and then they can CGI your character afterwards so that it doesn't look like you, but they capture your body movements and they capture your facial expressions. Mm. So there's two, there's two sort of avenues there's motion capture and then there's performance capture okay and a lot of the old motion capture would be just your body movements but not necessarily your face mm -hmm. now they're moving a lot towards uh, performance capture so you really it's it's really about the acting not right. just not just the physical movement so mm. more and more you see actually actors um, doing these sorts of jobs because mm. they need somebody that can actually do a script because video games as you know, Kevin, you're a you're an enthusiastic yeah. video, I love game video game player. I'm a gamer, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're, they have full stories, right? Like yeah. full characters oh, yeah. and full stories and relationships, and so you need actors that can bring that to life. Um, so I had done mocap only once before, um, and it was for uh, for a film um, that I was working on with Netflix and. It was a workshopping piece and they, they needed to CGI. I was working on it as a dancer and they needed to CGI our movements. Um, so I was really excited to do it again because I just thought it was so cool. And also I dream of being an action hero like Marvel if you're out there listening. I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> Marvel, if you're listening to the Kevin Clifton show, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, if we, if we there see is it no enough. one more perfect than Jess Khan Lee. Um, is the iPhone listening? Is something listening to this? Marvel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah if Marvel aren't listening, <laughs> if your phone's next to you, that's definitely listening. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I thought, I thought what an amazing opportunity. Um, so, you know, you, you often go through a platform called Spotlight, which has uh, your, 
your CV on it and it has clips of you acting or singing or, or doing whatever skills that you have and, and some information about you. So you get submitted to the casting directors through this, um, through this site, Spotlight. Uh, so they had a sense of who I was and, and what I was like and what I could do. Um, and I got that job <laughs> um, just from that way. So that was actually one I didn't have to audition for. Mm. Um, which is my favorite kind of job. Yeah. <laughs> we want you. That, that's the dream. Excellent work. <laughs> that's the dream. Um, so I'd never done a video game before. So I went to set and uh, it was at the Imaginarium um, Studios. So you, you walk in and there's nothing. It's an empty room just with a bunch of computers and screens and stuff down one side. and. And it's all taped up with different color tape and X's in different spots where your marks are. And they put you in a, you know, in a, in a mocap suit and they put the sensors on and they put little dots on your face so that the camera can pick that up. Um, and then you go and stand in the middle of this empty room and the camera sensors are on you. And they ask you to do different things like squat, stand up on your toes, raise this arm, raise that arm, and they calibrate your body with these sensors on the computer. It's so cool. Uh, and then after that, you just start the scene as you would any normal TV scene or acting job. The only thing is that you're very aware of your movements. Mm. Um, also, you've got loads of gear on, you know, I have a big headpiece on as well. And mm. it's a, uh, it fits over my whole head. And then the front bit comes out several inches. And it's kind of like a metal cage and on the front of it is a camera. So that camera is filming my face oh dead my ahead the whole time, all of my expressions. Um, and then you do the scene with the other actors that are dressed in these mad outfits, <laughs> the same as you are. Um, but you look over on the screen and you can see your character and your avatar. And that's what's also mad uh, because you can't you can't move in the same way that you would usually move as as you as a person. I looked over my avatar was much curvier than I was. Um, she's such a, can I say badass? She's yeah. <laughs> you don't have to censor. She's such a badass character. Um, but she was this tough girl, but you know, she, she had these, these curves and this bum and all the rest of it. And you, you know, you can look at me. I don't, <laughs> I don't have any of that fantasticness. Um, but learning little things like having to hold your arms out a few inches more than you usually mm. would do if they were by your side, because when they drop down, the sensors can't capture, can't tell the difference right. between where your arms are and where the rest of the character's body is. Okay. Um, or as soon as, you know, your glove starts slipping over, then, then suddenly your arm disappears or looks bent yeah. on the screen as the character. Um, so technically it's very, very different. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's, it was an incredible experience. And because you knew that the character looked like that, yes, you know, different, did that start to inform how you were moving about as well? Like Definitely. Yeah. I Definitely, yeah. Because when it's just you, you can feel a bit silly. But when you see yourself created in that way, um, yeah, it just made me. It makes you stand differently. Not mm. only because technically, but because you imagine yourself as this character, and you can mm. see the way that they move. Um, because obviously, when you move, it's slightly different to mm. how to how they'll capture it on a screen. Um, yeah, it definitely informed 
it informed all of that. And actually, funnily enough, in that game, I think I played two characters, but I didn't know that. I went to shoot one of the scenes and looked behind me and my avatar looked different. And they were like, oh yeah, you're playing this character now. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that was kind of mad um, about as well. But yeah, very cool. And they have a lot of stunt people working in video games. Um, but yeah, there's no, there's no real set. It's just an empty room and you're imagining everything. Yeah. Or they might have a couple of boxes, you know, to sit on my... What's that called? Um, you've said it to me before. In Star Wars, those, they go over the sand. They're like oh, the yeah, little... Oh, yeah, those racers. The those, racers, um, well, yeah. Not, I can't remember exactly what they're called. But I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah that like Anakin Skywalker races in, exactly. in episode one. Yeah. yeah, so I had like that sort of thing that I was riding on. My character was riding on. But it was just a bunch of boxes and then a metal pole. And it was just, yeah, and then like a stool for me to sit on. But obviously, you know, they, they'd censored it all and, and I had to like pick up this giant gun and put it on top, but it's all imaginary. Wow. Nothing's there. And then you, you see the video game afterwards and it's just so full of detail and life. Yeah. And <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah, but it's like being a kid. You yeah. know? Kids can imagine anything and it's, you just have to put yourself back in that world. Mm -mm. Play pretend. <laughs> um. It, it seems like I can never get through a podcast without bringing up Strictly Come Dancing. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but then obviously, like, because you're a, like, you, you say, like, dance is your main thing. And you, um, you know, you're a choreographer and uh, you often come on Strictly Come Dancing uh, choreographing with Tommy, your boyfriend, Tommy Franzen, who's been who's, on this podcast before. Who's brilliant. Who's brilliant. Who's, uh, yeah, I mean, just And a, I have a, to thank him for, for giving me the opportunity to, because he brought me on board uh -huh. <laughs> to be a part of Strictly. And you, Kev. And you. And me. Yeah. It's well, I mean, like... I have no power. No, you, <laughs> you have no power. But, I mean, we, we got to sort of, like, work together -ish. Yeah. You <laughs> Briefly. Were, and yeah, well, yeah, you were working on... Um, me and Stacey's show dance in the final yeah. in, in 2018. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You guys putting it all together. Exactly. Tell me what to do. Yeah, um, that was my first experience strictly ever. So that was, you know, phenomenal. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, then Ghostbusters happened. Yes. So Ghostbuster gate. <laughs> Ghost gate. <laughs> recount it as you remember it. Oh, um. <laughs> Tommy couldn't be there at the time. Uh, I don't remember Tommy being there at, at the moment it happened. No, no, um, he wasn't. Tommy, Tommy was doing a show, um, and uh, you know, Tommy and Lizzie were working on what was it at the time? Some, some like it hip hop. Anyway, they're doing a show with Sudation. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was there that I think it was this it was the Saturday wasn't it it was the actual yeah. show day yeah 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 live um, show day and so we did we started the run through and then Neil got injured I can't even remember exactly what it was that he did but suddenly he went I down and at first I think we thought it would all be all right but then it was starting to look like he, he wouldn't be all right in time for the live show and we were just thinking <laughs> Oh my God, <laughs> what, 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 what are, are we, we going to do, do? <laughs> and, and how is this going to go ahead? But of course, there was only one person that could have possibly pulled that off, and that was you, Kev. 
Well, this. you say could have pulled it off. <laughs> you did pull it Maybe off. There was you potential did pull for it. it. <laughs> no, you were fantastic. You know, when you think about who could come in and learn that in, in 45 minutes, um, learn, you know, a, a dance, not even in the style that is something that you no. are trained in. No street commercial (laughs) and there was a lot of you know it was very specific that dance um and the movements were very specific you you couldn't really just throw them away Mm. uh and obviously you know neil and alex who were phenomenal um worked so hard that week yeah to really nail that down yeah and and they were great at it and we were so excited for them because i think they were so excited to do a street commercial number and um, you had to learn that in 45 minutes. And I do remember just being in, uh, in the marquee. And it was like, all right, <laughs> Kev, Kev, here you go. You're stepping in. Let me go through this once with you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes, <laughs> Are you ready? Um, but no, but you were, you were fantastic. I mean... <sighs> I, I'm pretty sure <laughs> I'm pretty sure if you walked up to me and was like Jess I'd like you to learn this style of dance that you have never done before and then you know do it on live TV in front of 14 million people I'm like are you joking I don't even want to do an audition where no one's going to see it <laughs> like, right after I've learned a piece of choreography never mind on live TV but yeah we just stood in the marquee and, and we didn't have much time at all and I think it was just laser focus, wasn't it? Yeah. All I remember is that you you watching me so closely, and um, but you were so great. You were picking up all the details, and but what you did is you brought through the the character and the purpose of of what that number was. Everything except the fucking steps. <laughs> <laughs> Everything except the steps. <laughs> oh, he's really good at the character and the Your purpose. Character was right on. <laughs> no, there was all nah, there was only like what I mean you can't expect that number to be to be absolutely perfect, especially because when you think about, you know, the dancers that that do this sort of style, like any of our styles, you know, it takes years and years and years and mm-hmm. years. And, and as we know, if you're a dancer trained in a particular style, um, you know, I, I think when people say like, oh, dancer, they imagine you dance everything. Yeah. But all the styles are so unique and the technique mm-hmm. is so different and the feeling of the movement is so different. So even when you have crossover, you know, hip hop and, mm. and Latin have a lot of crossover or crossover mm. steps or hip hop borrowed or, you know, hip-hop borrows from salsa or whatever, mm. but they have their own flavor and their way of moving the body and hitting the beat at a different moment, you know, whether you hit it the, the beginning of the beat or the end of the beat or mm. and just the, the release and the tension of your body and the dynamics are so different. So even if you're a brilliant dancer, to be able to wrap your head around that is it's not just a step, it's the way that it has to move through your body. Yeah. Um, but you had to put that all together in this ridiculously short period of time and you went out there and just gave one hell of a performance with Alex, who was a freaking superstar. She was amazing. She yeah. just changed She's... out her partners. Yeah, and she and got everything right still and she... sort of carried me through the bit that I was messing up. 
Like she was, <laughs> she was like shouting it under her breath to me about what was going on. Oh god, what a night! But, but I still got that video on my phone that I think you took when we were um, oh still rehearsing god. up in like Claudia's area. That like, was it. Like up there, we were still going through it oh while other people were dancing. You and... didn't stop practicing while the show was going on. That was it. You you were <laughs> yeah. stood. I think I have multiple videos of you because I was just. I was so obviously so so proud and so happy that you're putting so much effort into it but also just crying with laughter because it was so funny you'd be on the other side and I'd be like super zooming as close as I could into you just practicing over and over and over and over again but that's the amount of effort and you know this is the thing that people don't see when when they watch a performance is is the the heart and the effort that goes in behind it even when it's terrifying yeah like i don't know if i if i were you i would have felt really nervous to go in for that and i don't know if you felt that way if you were just fine (laughs) do you know what i was really nervous but but at the same time there's something about i suppose when you go into that you you said like that laser focus it's like it was such a mad situation that it just sort of snaps you into this weird zone where you just have to focus like you've got no other choice I think if I'd have had it's almost like if I'd have had a day Mm -hmm. to get it together I'd have Mm -hmm. been more nervous Mm -hmm. but at the time it was like look I just gotta go on and do this yeah just get on with it like it it was it was that but also and this is what I want to ask you about because you were so calm at the time you, like you didn't seem panicked yeah. which was perfect for me at the time because if you would have been all panicked it would have like I, I, I can sort of soak up the energy of everyone around me sometimes yeah. and it's like if you would have been all panicky I, I probably would have been more panicky because you you were very calm at the time and actually this is true of, of well I find in general you'll tell me what's true and what's not but like I find you and Tommy two of possibly the, the two most chilled people I know <laughs> like you're, you're you're very calm um mm. one is that true are you generally just calm <laughs> under pressure <laughs> and uh, or is it an act <laughs> and, and inside you're going ah! um, and two if it is like where does that come from because obviously I noticed like you you and Tommy are, uh, like you do a lot of you do yoga every single day mm-hmm. um you sent me um was it was it my birthday you sent me the yeah. Jay Shetty's book yes um think like a monk mm-hmm. you know things like that it strikes mm-hmm. me that you place a lot of importance on mindset and taking care of your mental health and mm-hmm. that side of things mm-hmm. with respect to being a performer is that would you say that's fair or? yeah i think that's become very important to me um so so to address the first thing it was easy for me to be calm though kev because i didn't have any worries with you because i but, <laughs> you're, you're very trusting <laughs> no, but, but i but i know you and i know how brilliant you are so i didn't for one second have a doubt like if you had doubts or worried about you getting it i didn't um and that's not to say that i expected it to be perfect i just <laughs> i just know how i know how focused you are i know how well you can pull through and i just feel like you know, I, I trust you 100%. And even if you'd gone out there and not done a single step, the thing is, it, that's not what it was about. Mm. Like, you were learning everything so quickly. So I kind of felt like my job, you know, I'm, I'm just behind the scenes. My job was to be there for you and to give you 
um, everything that I could that you needed. And I think I tried to behave in a way that I, I would want to be treated. So I think if I was in that situation, it was chaotic and somebody was, you know, around me panicking, I would panic. Mm. But if I had someone that was really calm saying, don't worry about it, let's go through it again. Cool. Mm. What else do you need? You know, it's going to be great. Just do your best and, Mm. and like, you've got this. And I'm, I very much come from a school of positive reinforcement. I don't believe in the, you know, tearing people down or scaring them so that they're better. And I know some people do work that way. I definitely don't. Mm. If, if you try no, that with me, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'll, yeah. I'll sink, you know, I'm, I'm the worst version of myself if I feel like somebody doesn't think I'm good or, or worthy. Yeah, or, I'm the same. Or is too critical. Yeah. Um, you know, for better or for worse, that's just the way that I work. So I think it's nice when you tell people what they're doing well and then just say, how can I, how can I help you? Yeah. What do you need to, to be better? What do you need to feel comfortable and to go out there and just like yeah. enjoy it? Because that was the whole point was yeah. to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was super, super easy uh, with you. In terms of whether this is all an act, uh, I have been called a duck, which is that I'm very calm on the surface, but my feet are going fucking mad okay. underneath. <laughs> <laughs> just the duck. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I think is true. Um, I think, uh, I worry a lot. I overthink a lot. My head is always Mm. spinning. Um, but I think I present quite calmly on the outside. Okay. Uh, um, but I think doing yoga has helped a lot. I think all the mindfulness has helped, but that's also come out of the last few years because the few years, um, in my life before that were very chaotic, Mm. um, very difficult personally and a bit professionally but just personally I had a really difficult time and I lived in this world where I never knew what was up and and what was down Mm. and um and it was very difficult and I wasn't in a very good place even though I didn't know it at the time Mm. but uh I was in a very unhealthy place and when I finally removed myself from that situation um I I started looking at personal development, which is something that I would have never looked at before because I would have thought like, oh, self-help, you know, Mm -hmm. the people you imagine going to a self-help section of a bookstore. You you have these ideas of of what those people are are like, Um, but that's not, that's not what it's about. It's, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not lonely, desperate people that can't get their lives together. It's, it's people that are trying to better their mental health that are trying to make something positive out of their life that are trying to move forward that are trying to grow um it's not something to be ashamed of it's something to be proud of because Mm. you're addressing your own your own growth Mm. um, and strengthening yourself and strengthening your mind and so i started um i started reading a lot more and, and listening to a lot more podcasts and um, mental health became something that was very important to me um, because I realized that until I could quiet my own mind and heal myself and come to terms with, you know, what, what my life was and not react to every little thing that was going on around me, until I could do that for myself, the world wasn't going 
to calm down for me either. Mm. It just meant that everything was always going to be chaotic. I needed to start with myself first. And I think that has changed my relationship with myself and my relationship with other people because I've been able to accept myself a lot more. Mm. Um, which means I'm not, you know, always worried about what other people are going to think or saying the wrong. Of course, of course I do sometimes. We all do. You know, yeah. I think if somebody says, oh, I never worry. It's like, really? Mm. <laughs> I'd love to be in your spot. Um, but I think it's gotten a lot better. And because of that, I'm able to be a lot more present for the people that I'm around. Mm. And I think when you learn to give yourself permission to have that space and to be okay, you can help other people be in that position as well or make them feel comfortable mm. and make them feel listened to. And um, yeah, I just, you know, I, I think that's, Mental health and, and emotional health are, are things that I'm super, super passionate about. Mm. Um, I think people don't talk about it very often. Uh, we keep, you know, these, these things secret, um, mm. a lot of dark things that we go through. And I think the more that we talk about them, um, the more we can help each other heal. And for me... I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know how deep we can go with this yeah, or however am I taking yeah, this yeah, yeah. podcast the wrong way. But for <laughs> me, um, for me, it was being in an abusive marriage mm. for many years. And I hid that for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the, at the time, I didn't really feel like it was that way. But it was just something that I'd always known. I was in a relationship with this person since I was 21. Mm. Um, it was a long relationship, not to say things were always bad. Um, you know, as, as in most of those relationships, there's a lot of love, a lot of amazing high, high, high highs, but also terrible lows. Mm. And I think I thought that's what life was about. And my energy with this person um, just created a world that I thought was safe, but was actually one of chaos. So... I ended up getting to my worst possible place of mental health that I'd, I'd ever been completely broken yeah. and had to build myself back from that and make the hardest decision of my life, which was to leave this person, um, you know, that I'd loved for so long, but basically to save myself. And it was hard to admit that to other people. It was hard to admit it to my family, hard to admit it to my friends, especially when, you know, they'd come back at me not believing me or saying, oh, you know, this person's so nice, are you sure this happened, or... Um, but you've, you've got to find that within yourself, um, and that's why I, you know, I get, I don't know how we've taken this detour, but that's <laughs> why I get very passionate about mental health and about being there to support other people, hmm. um, and, you know, giving that open space. <laughs> to, to bring it back to, to where we were at the beginning because oh. people do need to be listened to if they're saying that they're struggling with their mental health or yes. have difficult you know thoughts or whatever yeah those people do need to we need to allow for people to feel comfortable to say those things yes and and that's exactly it isn't it it's it's the also when when people say that allowing it but also not 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 calling people a liar, not questioning it's, yeah, them. It's not acceptable to do that. No. And, you know, there are those, there are some people that will come out and say, oh, well, you know, anecdotally, this time this person happened and they were lying in that time. But that's not mm. what this is about. Yeah. 
this you know there are a lot of people out there struggling with different things and when somebody gives a cry for help or speaks out about something it's it's not a fun thing you know like maybe you have occasionally people that are crying out for attention you know that that do it and it's not true but the majority of people the overwhelming that is the t teeny tiny exception to the rule of the person that will do that but overwhelmingly these are people that have been through awful trauma mm. and you try to handle it yourself because it doesn't feel good to admit it to other people because you're afraid yeah. of the reaction so who in their right mind will put themselves through that yeah um so yeah exactly what you said and like we were talking about at the beginning it's it's um i find it despicable um, when when people are called liars or you know when Megan's being called a liar for, for things that she's come out to say you mm. know, because that's that's brave and that's courageous mm. and that's what I mean like you know when we're saying about the freedom of speech thing and people people say oh yeah but you got to have freedom of speech and it's like yeah mm. but we're not that's actually got nothing to do with this mm. freedom when in that sort of a situation for me freedom of speech is completely irrelevant mm -hmm. no one's arguing whether freedom of speech is right or wrong like we're just saying don't act like a dick, actually. Yeah. yeah. Like that's, that's what it is. No one's saying you shouldn't be allowed to have freedom of speech. It's just there's going to be consequences if you say certain things, you know. Exactly. In, in, in a certain way. Like how helpful are you being by saying these things? If, if someone is saying they've been through, you know, really dark thoughts and their mental health is really struggling, what are you achieving by saying, I don't believe you? Yeah. Like, and who are freedom you, of speech or not? Who are you to say it? Somebody that yeah. has no has is not in that situation, that has mm. no relationship to that situation, that mm. that you know it's not like they were a party that's a part of it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But it's just yeah. an, an outside point of view. Yeah. Um I mean if we're being really honest, it's just for all the, the drama and the numbers, isn't it? Yeah, it's just of for the but yeah, it's damaging though yeah. because because there are a lot of people that will listen to that and that will be swayed by that. Thankfully, there's a lot of people that will look at that and think, yeah, that's absolute bullshit, mm. you know, and and get on board on the other side and stand up against it. Um, but it is damaging, especially when you've got a person that has a place and a voice um, to to be um, calling somebody that you know, so that they felt like they could take their life a liar. Mm. And that mm. you just think about the, the ripple effect that would cause for so many men and women that are in that dark place mm. and think that they don't want to come out and tell anybody yeah. now for exactly. fear that they'll be called a liar. Exactly. That's the ex example that gets set. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now people don't want to say it. Yeah. And, and just like to do with like being a performer, being an actor, like I, I've found... I don't know if you did this, but like uh, sometimes we romanticize like someone who's going, th someone who seems to be in a really dark place, but they do a good job of something. Mm -hmm. And we romanticize mm -hmm. the, oh, this, this person was all over the place and really struggling. And mm -hmm. that's why they were such an amazing artist. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I used to think, because I've been through, you know, similar to what you were saying, I, I you know, went through a time where I would, was, I guess, you know, not well. Mm -hmm. Um, mentally and and there's a part of me that that you know you look to these people that we romanticize say say it's a um i don't know a, a kurt cobain or a, an amy winehouse or you know like 
Heath Ledger or, you know, someone, we romanticise that part of them that goes, oh, yeah, they were so chaotic. And so it's just they were this tortured mm-hmm. artist. And they're all brilliant artists, not necessarily like the, what am I trying to say? The, the, the chaos in them was not necessarily yes. helping things. Mm-hmm. They were just also a brilliant artist. And I think sometimes we think like, yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be amazing if I'm there as well. But actually what I found was that I'd romanticized all that a little bit yes. to try and justify what was going on for me. Mm-hmm. But actually when I started to, as you were saying, sort of take yourself more seriously in terms of your well-being, like men- mental well-being, once I started to do that, I found that my performance got a lot better. In, in in lots in lots of as a performer, I be, I became much better at Why what do you I do. Why think that was? I think I was more focused. I was more clear in what I wanted to do, mm. um, and just I guess rated myself a bit more. Like th- there was a there was a point when I had a really low opinion of myself. Like mm. I just had no self esteem and and just yeah hated myself really mm-hmm. and and i think ultimately you know you, th- there's parts of it that you can use sort of darkness and and you know yeah. angst that you can sort of use for performing definitely but in the long run i, I don't think it does you does you any good and, and and i think you sort of your world becomes a reflection of how you are in in yourself yes ultimately and like if if you're chaotic in yourself then your your world becomes chaotic Mm -hmm. as is kind of like what you were saying and um i think when yeah when i when i just started to i guess take myself a little more seriously and like i'd never i'd never want to be accused of sounding all like too sort of wishy-washy but when it comes to sort of just the idea of self-care a little bit, just self-love, you know, like yeah. when I started to rate myself a bit more, I became a better performer just because I had a little mm. more confidence in myself. I don't know if like, how, like how, how has lockdown, for example, affected you? Because, and the reason I ask is because I think there's a lot of people have obviously struggled during lockdown for some really obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other week I I was thinking about this and and I was thinking actually I think as a result of it and obviously we wish it had never happened and it's been some really horrible stuff Mm -hmm. but as a result of it I think I'm actually my mental health is probably better now than it was Mm. a year ago like in a way I I feel a bit more resilient I feel a bit um, I understand myself a bit more I don't know I was it how has that and as a performer played out for you? Well, I think, I mean, I think we, we had sort of a brief um, conversation about this the other day when we were talking about our experiences. And I think what, what you were saying was that you actually, because you were so busy, mm. you had time during this lockdown to, to really, like, take care of yourself. Mm. Where, you know, we, we lived together. I saw what your life was like. Yeah. Um, Especially during Strictly, you know, you, you would be on all the time and always just project to project and, and you know, pod, the first thing in the morning you'd be listening to podcast. you'd always be doing something. Yeah. It was always to, you know, to, to make something else, to make yourself grow in another way, um, which is great, which is fantastic, but you don't get a chance to just sit 
mm. and settle. Mm. Um, and I think when you gave yourself that time, um, from what I understand, is, is you were able to really kind of like calm, you know, you, you now listen to podcasts on consciousness and, and <laughs> mindfulness where I can't ever imagine you listening to those before. Before it would have been like, what more can I achieve and how yeah, do I yeah, get yeah, there? Yeah. And, but, you know, but you've given yourself that time to kind of like put yourself emotionally, mentally and physically in a good space. Um, because just because you rest doesn't mean that it's laziness and it's not growth. It's sometimes you need the quiet. Mm. You know, sometimes it is good to push for. Of course, we have to push forward. Of course, we have to be uh, ambitious um, to get where we want to get to a certain degree, you know, in our industry and in other industries. But you need those moments of quiet as well because I think you lose yourself if you're just constantly pushing. Yeah you have to check in with yourself because mm. the person that you were four months ago, you know, you might be burnt out by this point. What's yeah. really important to you? You know, what's my mental health looking like physically? How am I feeling? Am I exhausted? And I just don't realize it because I've been going for so long. Um, and I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's why lockdown was so good for you because you couldn't even <laughs> remember the last time that you took yeah. a break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Reverse proper break. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and for me, for me, it was a funny time because I had moved here the September before last. So I, um, I'd been living in Hong Kong and I came to London and I had a brilliant few months, you know, from I think September to December was strictly. And then um, I had a couple of commercials that I shot after that. But it started getting a little bit quieter for me. Mm. And I think the last time I worked was right before the lockdown in March. And that's when things started, you know. I remember I booked, I was so excited because I I booked a film. Mm. Um, and that, you know, when you, when you move to a new city in a new place, you're always kind of starting, at, <laughs> you always kind of feel like you're starting at the bottom. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and so I had this stress on me of like, you know, needing, needing to kind of get jobs and, and meet people. Um, had put a lot of pressure on myself uh, and I was so excited when this job came through and then and then it got cancelled uh, <laughs> when COVID hit and I found out because I picked up a newspaper in Sainsbury's mm. saying mm. that you know it had supposed to be Mission Impossible 7 and they were shooting in Venice and mm. I saw Tom Cruise flees Venice and Venice film set I mm. thought oh well that job is gone God. and that kind of started um, the the downward spiral on one hand, which was the stress of um, not being able to support myself financially. That was, that really played on my mind a lot. How am I going to get work? What's going to happen? You know, we're, we're at a year now. And luckily I have been able to work. But at the time, we didn't know that. Um, and, you know, a lot of time went by, months went by where I didn't work after that. And thinking... What, what am I going to do? And, and I'm new in this place and I'm here on a visa and couldn't get any government support or any help. So, you know, that was, that was really difficult. Mm. Um, but if I put that financial bit aside and if I concentrate on what it did for me personally, lockdown was a great thing for me in many ways. Um, and I say that with the knowledge that, you know, so many people 
had the worst time of their life. You know, this is not this is not to say that that lockdown was great and it's no, and no. it's all flowers and roses. Mm-hmm. You know, we know it was it was a brutal time. Yeah. Um, but what I mean is that if I'm looking at it personally for my life, if I'm looking at the positives in my life that came from it, was what I had to focus on again then was me. Okay. Yeah. In, in two ways, career-wise and also just me. What is it that I love to do? I love to be outside. What is it that's going to make me feel mentally and emotionally strong? That was doing physical things outside. So going for bike rides, doing yoga on the 4th of April. It will have been Tommy and I started yoga on the 4th of April <laughs> with an app called Down Dog, which we have done every day. Every single day. <laughs> every day. Even, although I do have to admit that some of those yogas were very short ones, you know, when it's two in the morning and you're like, oh God, let's just do a 10 minute one. But you still like, committed to it. The tick in the box. <laughs> um, there's times where we did it in the car when we were sleeping in the car because we'd been out rock climbing and trying to do yoga inside a car. <laughs> it's it hilarious. But it was committing to those sorts of routines um, and also mm. being able to focus on my relationship um, and you know, my relationship with, with Tommy because we got to spend some time together and, and checking in with my family and checking in with friends. And I think that happened to a lot of people. Mm. I think that they had a lot of time to think, who is important to me? And who do I need to call? Who do I need to speak to? You know, we had all this time suddenly to have Zoom calls and FaceTimes and, and you know, be reminded of how important that is mm. to talk to your loved ones. Mm. Um, and be reminded of how much they meant to you. So, yeah, in in that way, lockdown was great for me because I just spent all my time outdoors and, and rock climbing in Portland and and then working when I got when I got the jobs. And um, I would get stressed about not getting work. But Tommy is great. Tommy would always go, "You're planting seeds. All these things that you're doing, you know, rock climbing, yoga, whatever it is that you're doing in your life and moving forward and doing to better yourself, mm. you're planting the seeds for your life. Yeah. And see which ones grow. And I am way more impatient than Tommy is, which I hate to admit, but I was like, when are they going to grow? I planted so many. <laughs> They're never going to grow for me. <laughs> They're going to grow for everyone else, but not for me. <laughs> but that's such a great way to think about it. Yeah. You're doing all these things that you're, that you're doing, like you're planting seeds. You're planting that are, the seeds, yeah. yes. And some of them will be for your career. Some of them will be for... Um, just for yourself, yeah. you know, habits that you build for yourself, relationships yeah. that you're building. Um, so in that way, I think that lockdown was was brilliant um, mm. because it gave me time to reflect on the things that I really want to do and also appreciate when work did come back or things that, you know, I couldn't do that I loved did come back. I was so grateful and so thankful and so appreciative of them. Mm. I mean, yeah, that's that's awesome. That's probably a good place to finish because that's like I, I think that's um, that, that that that's really good advice. And I come back to it like a few weeks or about a month ago, we had um, Ali Gordon Creed under that she was talking about um, that thing of what what can I do today that's going to feed my soul, mm-hmm. like asking yourself that question. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what lockdown's been about for a lot of people is just getting in touch with those things. What what is it that I, I actually mm-hmm. love? If I can take a step back 
right now what is it that's going to feed my soul today mm -hmm. like and for you it's like being outdoors doing rock climbing doing your yoga do, doing all these things mm -hmm. and 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 there were seeds that there, there were plants because then you've got this you're able to do these things like we were talking about the auditions for those self tapes for those commercials where you're doing all this you're rock climbing up your cupboards in the kitchen and yeah. you know like so it is it's all it's nuts. it all comes together when you when you're heading towards those things that yeah. you love and putting all energy and structure to it random things that I've I've done have manifested themselves in a way that I would have never expected related to work you know op open these doors yeah. to opportunities yeah. that I would have never imagined yeah um but yeah, you just don't know which ones. And I think one more important thing to say is also a certain amount of pressure on yourself is good yeah. because it keeps you going and striving. But too much pressure on yourself. You know, I, I think there was a lot of people that felt overwhelmed when, when it was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to learn a new skill or I'm going to do this or I'm going to work out. Yeah. Some people went, Shakespeare oh, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just scared and I'm just sad. And the important thing to remember is that it's different for all of us. Yeah. You know, for me, it was going out and and climbing whatever rock I could find, and you know, yeah. and pushing my body and and these sorts of things. And because I'd had so much time, kind of by myself, <laughs> yeah. in the quiet to think. And for you, you had been so exceptionally busy that what you needed was some quiet. Yeah. To sit and read and just slow down. Yeah. So. And I knew, you know, we hear that this a lot. We can't compare our, ourselves. And, I, you know, I say this and anybody that knows me is going to be laughing listening to this because I'm, I'm the worst. I'm, <laughs> I do not practice what I preach. <laughs> but I, would, I would love to not constantly compare myself. But, <laughs> but it is an important thing. You know, we, we can't compare. We're all in our particular places in our lives on our particular paths and you just don't know where it's going to be and if you look back in your life and think something that you were worried about five or ten years ago that doesn't matter now yeah or i saw something recently saying you know i'm feeling anxiety in the moment that i am now thinking about what's in the future where a few weeks ago or months ago this was the moment i was looking forward to yeah and you know we just have to be okay with that and it has to be enough and you just need to find the place that is, you know, truthful for you. Yeah, awesome. And you've done all of these different things that we've said. You've you've done so many different kinds of, of performing work. As we come out of lockdown situation, and if there's no no barriers, no restrictions, what is your ideal? What is the thing that you would just love to like <laughs> say it now and manifest oh, it into existence? God, Kev, there's so much. <laughs> so indecisive. Um, movies. Movies. Yes. I would love to do films. I'd love to have two things, a really great meaty role mm. in a film, like a drama or something, something that was very challenging, something that I felt was purposeful because for me acting is about um giving the people who are watching it a reason to relate to you as a human being and making the things that they've gone through or felt or experienced okay you know you want someone leaving a theater feeling you know acknowledge you know uh realizing something about mm. themselves or, or feeling okay in a particular way or having empathy mm. for a character mm. uh, and on the other side of that not not so deep at all is that i would love to be like i mentioned already <clears throat> marvel yeah. i would love 
to be the star of an action movie. So if they would love to make the next like Tomb Raider, I'm here for it. Uh, oh, you'd be brilliant at Tomb Raider. There's, You're like the perfect Lara Croft. <laughs> What's the superhero movie that they're doing? Um, it's like a 98% Asian cast. And I'm like, oh, guys, if I'm, I'm your friendly neighborhood Asian over here, if anybody else <laughs> wants to, <laughs> to add me to that cast. Um, yeah, that would, that would be brilliant. Also, because I want to see more diversity on screen. So yes. I'd love to be a part of that. Awesome. <laughs> and then, obviously, the inevitable Meghan Markle, the movie. Oh, Meghan Markle, the Starring movie. Starring Jess Gardley. <laughs> <laughs> Jess, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks so much, Kev. 